You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Wow, you've hit the jackpot, and so did we. A lot of college football news. It's not every day that the greatest coach who ever lived, and I think that's fair to say, Nick Saban, college coach that is, at Alabama has decided to step down after seven national championships at 72 years old, that breaking sometime, I guess, on uh, Wednesday night. And so uh, you had that. You had Pete Carroll getting fired, essentially fired, because it wasn't really his idea, although he may take some role in the organization with the Seattle Seahawks, another 70-something very successful college and pro uh, coach and so lots going on in the coaching realm but we get a chance as timing would have it to talk to Matt Baker who covers college football for us for the Tampa Bay Times he's going to join us to do that and discuss the national championship speaking of another coach Jim Harbaugh still awaiting what his fate will be so lots going on in the world of college football and lots going on in the world of pro football of course the Bucks preparing for their Monday night showdown against the Philadelphia Eagles in that NFC wild card game. It was a bonus practice on Wednesday. It was sort of a glorified walkthrough, only about an hour or so. And we did have a chance to talk to Baker Mayfield, Antoine Winfield Jr., and Levante David. And I would say this, that uh, pretty good day for Antoine Winfield. He wins NFC Defensive Player of the Week in a week where he was not voted to the Pro Bowl, also not voted to... Uh, what is essentially the NFLPA's Pro Bowl, or they picked just two players at that position. He didn't make that either. The AP, the Associated Press Pro Bowl, is supposed to come out later this week, I think on Friday. That's the one that's generally regarded uh, you know, by people when they, when they talk about uh, All-Pro. Um, and, and that's what we're talking about, All-Pro, not Pro Bowl. But Pro Bowl's already been decided, but All-Pro, where they just pick two at each, each position. So we'll wait for that. But Antoine Winfield Jr., it was funny. He came out uh, onto the podium and he was carrying what amounts to a uh, a belt, uh, if you will, sort of a, a wrestler's or boxer's belt that you, if you would, were to win a championship. It was from Good Morning Football and Jason McCourty, uh, who earlier this week, I believe it was Tuesday, he had his top five defensive backs in all of football. And number one was Antoine Winfield Jr., who had, of course, been snubbed by everybody else. And so Winfield proudly displayed his belt above his head and everybody took pictures and it was a neat moment for him. Uh, of course, he's focused on other things like trying to win a postseason game. It's amazing that he has been here, as he said, already four years, you know, he came into the league in 2020 with Tom Brady, his first year here and went on to win a Super Bowl as a rookie played terrific. Then has played terrific ever since. So he can impart some of the knowledge four straight playoff appearances for the bucks. That's the most, active in the NFC. They're the, they have the most consecutive uh, postseason appearances uh, in the NFC, which is really saying something. Talked to Baker Mayfield, still a little sore, would not have practiced on Wednesday had they recorded those things, which they didn't have to do with the Monday night game. But, um, you know, the ankle is going to be, I think, a bigger issue maybe than the ribs, uh, to be honest. He says he has his own sort of personal body body coach, if you will, Um 
a, a guy that he calls the wizard. So uh, the wizard of uh, ouch, I guess, uh, will be trying to help Baker Mayfield get ready uh, with that ankle and, uh, of course, with the ribs and everything else. So um, this is, you know, what you play for. And, and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of different opinions about where the Bucks are as a franchise and, you know, whether they just happen to squeak through the weakest division and all of that. I don't think it matters because I think when you get here, um, you have a chance to, you know, to sort of, you know, it's one game and anything can happen in one game. In Philadelphia, which has lost five out of six, right, they're coming in here limping home. The Bucks have won five out of six, and so they got a little bit of momentum. So it should be uh, – you know, a closer game certainly than the one they played in what week three, where the Bucks got behind like you know twenty five to three or something like that, uh, and you know it wasn't really competitive that day. Philadelphia ran for over two hundred yards on forty carries. Their offensive line just sort of mauled the Bucks, and then the Bucks weren't able to do anything offensively. So, you know, I don't I don't expect that, but uh, certainly they got to play better on offense than they did the last two weeks, scoring just nine points against Carolina. So we'll have more to talk out there uh, at One Buck Place, uh, you know, as they get ready for their Monday night game, which is still several days away. It helps Baker Mayfield to have that extra day of rest and and have a chance, you know, to get himself ready for the, uh, you know, the playoff. And and he'll be ready. I don't have any doubt about that. All right, before we get to Matt Baker here, I just want to remind everybody that for the past 14 years, the skilled pros of May Electric Solar have been installing solar energy systems in Florida. They provide the most reliable solar equipment, the best installation methods and service, while helping homeowners cut energy costs with an environmentally friendly investment. May Electric Solar uses their own skilled employees, never subcontractors. They've always offered the safest and most reliable equipment. Now May Electric Solar offers a 30-year no-cost equipment replacement and labor warranty. That means for 30 years, May Electric Solar, backed by Solar Insure, means that your roof, your electrical and uh, your electrical and equipment replacement is all covered. So Solar Insure even survives May Electric Solar. It's owned by the homeowner. There's no deductibles or additional fees, and this policy will transfer to new homeowners with no fee. It's not a blanket insurance policy. In fact, only the best contractors are allowed to be part of this program. May Electric Solar's reputation and history of workmanship has earned this membership. To learn more about May Electric Solar's installation and their 30-year warranty, call 727-819-2862 or visit mayelectricsolar.com. Best time of the week and maybe one of the last times of the year till we get to next fall when you think about it, but we have a chance to talk college football with Matt Baker. Matt, sometimes things just work out timing-wise, and for this podcast, that's one of them. (laughs) Uh, We're we're having you on on a night where, fairly shockingly, I mean, as much as, you know, a 72-year-old retiring is a shock anymore, but Nick Saban stepping down at the University of Alabama uh, I think I'll always remember when that happened, where I was. It's one of those moments. But uh, your thoughts just about when you when you heard the news that he is done, um, presumably for his career, and, and certainly what a career it's been with seven national championships. Yeah, I, I was surprised. Um, if you would have told me a month or two ago that Saban would be on his way out, I, I would I would have believed that. I would not have been surprised. If you kind of looked at, I don't want to be like armchair 
psychiatrist or whatever, but he seemed looser this year. He, mm-hmm. Even going back to the start of the year, I, I think it was uh, AL.com. I wish I could remember who it was, but somebody looked at the number of times that he smiled or like joked around during news conferences and compared it to other preseasons in terms of like, what does this mean for the wins and loss? But he seemed looser. Mm-hmm. He seemed a little more relaxed, and I think he really enjoyed this team. I did too. And, yeah, and maybe some of that's just because of the nature of it in terms of like week-to-week growth from where they were certainly in the USF game to where they finished. That team grew about as well as any team in the country and maybe as well as any team Saban's had. So maybe there's some of it is, you know what, I did everything I could. I got every ounce out of this team and, and you know, that brings you a lot of gratification. But it was also maybe some of it was that the writing was on the wall and, and maybe he kind of knew, but as we record this, I have not yet seen a good explanation from Saban or Saban's camp as to why now. If he would have decided, you know, uh, announced it right after the the, the semifinal, um, maybe he could have announced it uh, before signing day. I don't know, whatever the circumstances are, but the, so I don't quite know the why now, why today, because there's been some reports from you know Ross Dellinger at Yahoo to name one saying like he was on the. SEC coaches call today, you know, I'm sure they were talking about whatever rule changes or, or whatever. And he was supposedly interviewing assistant coaches for his, you know, uh, staff openings earlier. And then a couple hours later announces he's retiring. So th- there's something that I don't think we know yet. And, and I, I don't know what it is. And, and you, know, you hope everything's okay. And, and, and stuff like that, just on the human level. But I'm curious to know the, the why, but that's a, kind of a, a lesser story today. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I think the 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 bigger story, and, and I mean, I look, we can assume that college football is changing so rapidly, and and perhaps not for the better. That I think almost any coach isn't having as much fun as they had, say, two or three years ago, um, pre COVID, anyway. But that aside, and we can get into that. Um, let's just talk about because look, I'm I'm old enough, unfortunately or fortunately, to 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 remember when somebody succeeded Bear Bryant, and that was Ray Perkins. Um, who I covered, <laughs> incidentally, when he left Alabama and came to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not an easy thing to do. Uh, now, Ray played for the Bear, right? And I, I, the bar that – I never thought that anybody would, would have the kind of success that Bear Bryant had, right, sure. and, and exceed it. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to me that, that that even occurred during Nick Saban's tenure. Um, and we remember him at LSU, and like you know, it's not like he just you know showed up and nobody knew who he was. I mean, he was a well-respected coach mm-hmm. um, by that time. Um, but put in perspective, sort of how he changed college football, and in particular, made the SEC the dominant conference. Maybe it already was, but 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 reinforced that it was the dominant conference in the land. Yeah, the, the league, the SEC was on its way. I mean, it was in the early days of kind of starting that dynasty, right? Where, you know, I think LSU was, was his, his title was 2003, and then the streak really started in 06 with the Gators, and they, they kept winning and winning, the, the, the SEC did. Um, so it was on its way to being what we think of it now anyway, and obviously the SEC has got all sorts of tradition. I'm not downplaying that. But for it to become the superpower, that was underway. But he took it to another level. I mean, he and Urban Meyer, when Urban was at Florida, they recruited at such a high level. They made everybody else 
raise their game. And again, recruiting has always been important. I'm not saying that. But those two guys, you talk to coaches who have been around, those were the two that took it to another level. And to the point where everybody else had to change. Like the rules now where the you know head coaches can't be out in certain times of the year. That's because Urban and Saban worked their tails off and everybody else didn't want to do it the way that they did. Um, because Saban was you know, and Urban too, they were both just so relentless on the recruiting trail. So that's one aspect of it. Um, Saban's, you know, the, the whole process thing in terms of this all-encompassing program where everything is geared, everybody's rowing in the same boat. Not everybody does it like that anymore, but a whole heck of a lot of programs do. And you, you look at the way this Saban process swept throughout the country. I mean, Jimbo Fisher at Florida State had his own version of it. Not as successful, not the whole institutional buy-in necessarily, but he did his version of it. Jim McElwain tried to do the same thing at Florida and failed. And, um, you know, Billy Napier is trying to do that at Florida now. And on and on with with, uh, Mel Tucker at Michigan State and Kirby Smart at Georgia. And, uh, I mean, just the, the list of people that he... His coaching tree is so immense. Um, it's it's mind-boggling to comprehend all of the stuff. And then the branches that have branches, right? Um, it, it's mind-boggling what he accomplished because everyone wanted a piece of that success. And, you know, it, it, again, it's, it was everything and is everything. And, and that's the thing that changed college football. It's, again, George, Alabama wasn't the only one who emphasized facilities, but they did it at a high level while emphasizing sports science and recruiting analysts and recruiting all the time and this, that, and the other. I, I mean, you can't, we could go on and on for an hour about just all the ways that he affected the game and made it so much more intense because if you weren't Alabama, you were getting left behind and the money was such that you couldn't afford to get left behind. And he just forced everybody to try to raise their game in their own way. And only a handful have been able to come close to raising it to a level where they could even compete with Alabama, let alone beat them. You know what I thought was uh, interesting during this time with Nick Saban was how he became sort of the, this is not a great probably description, but sort of the rehabilitation for other coaches, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, I'm thinking of guys like Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, even Bill O'Brien, right? Like it was, mm-hmm. it became like a launching pad. These guys had success, moderate success, maybe other places for one reason or another, didn't work out somewhere. And then, and then they would end up with Nick Saban, sometimes just as a consultant, you know, at first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lo and behold, you know, their star rises. They they have success, maybe even as a coordinator. And they're off to their next big job, sometimes even in the, in the SEC. Um, that was fascinating to me. He, he, was a, he was a coach's friend, if there ever was one, right? That if you could, if you could learn under Nick Saban and spend some time in Alabama – you might be able to take some of that special sauce with you. For sure. I mean, you, you left out the first one or, or one of the first ones. That, that was Billy Napier. Yeah. Um, go right. back to, to, what, 13 years ago, 14 years ago now. He got fired as the youngest OC in the country at Clemson, or he, he was one of the youngest, I guess, at the time. Um, and, you know, think about what that would have been like for Billy, going from being this hotshot, 
young assistant at a major program, Clemson, that had won a national title in its history, and now you're out on a you know now you're out on your tail, thinking what the heck am I going to do? And Saban calls, and it's not even just a hey, we want you to be our quarterbacks coach or whatever. It was the analyst role, and that was something that people maybe it had been done before, but certainly not with like a Billy Napier type guy and he took it and he ran with it. And, you know, then he becomes a position coach and moves around, bounces around and head coach at Louisiana. Now he's at the head coach at one of the, you know, what top 10, top 15 programs in the country, whatever you want to call them. And he would tell you straight up that wouldn't have happened had Saban not made that call and had things not worked out. Um, so yeah, that it's, it's a, crazy crazy list of people that have worked under him and and the whole analyst process is part of it i mean i I think charlie strong is still there last i checked um or there again i should say uh i mean look mario cristobal head coach at miami uh he had been the head coach at fiu didn't work out and then i can't remember if he had a stop before then but ends up as a um, assistant at, at alabama on uh now, I know he was on the, the 2016 team because I remember talking to him at, before the Peach Bowl semifinal against Washington and you then know, uh, gets to Oregon, becomes a head coach, now he's a head coach at Miami. It's like there's so many stories like that. And Saban, his success, everyone wanted a piece of it because, I mean, he, you're right. He, he's the greatest of all time. I don't think there's a conversation. What he did, that dynasty, more or less unmatched. Maybe we can talk about the Bobby Bowden dynasty at Florida State, with it was the fourteen years in the top five or whatever. Maybe that's the best comp. But in this era, for what for Saban to do what he did is is insane. So everybody wanted a piece of it, and everybody was desperate to hire somebody who worked for Saban and had that knowledge, who had maybe that secret recipe, and 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 very few did because. Yeah, there's a lot to it, but a lot of it is just work really hard and find ways to get really good players. Um, and, and Saban did that better than anybody. How did Nick Saban make the University of Florida better? In other words, everybody had to get better in the SEC uh, if you're going to win an SEC title. But there was time, obviously, when Urban Meyer showed up and Florida became the dominant program there for a while in, in a couple national championships. I mean... Tell me, because I, I, again, I think the Tebow phenomenon we could do a whole show on. Um, I, I, he represented everything that everybody in the South loved. I saw him mm-hmm. at the at the uh, Senior Bowl, and it didn't matter what school you came from in the SEC. You wanted a piece of Tim Tebow like he was Paul McCartney. Um, but that aside, did 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 Saban and, and Alabama's success, as much as it translated to any school, did Florida try to pick up that baton and match him? Well, I certainly think it helped in the sense that the SEC became a power, and that certainly helped Florida's brand, where they're, you know, the SEC program in one of the top three or four states in the country. So I think it helped there. Um, I think it helped, it forced Florida to modernize, I guess is the easiest way to say it. And it's not just Florida, too. It's Florida State, Miami, and I'll talk about that in a second. But Mm -hmm. um, for the longest time, Florida's thing was, Steve Spurrier didn't need this. Why do we need it now? Uh, mm. Steve Spurrier didn't have an indoor practice facility. Why do we need it now? Uh, Steve Spurrier didn't have this fantastic new facility with all these bells and whistles and 50,000 analysts. Why do we need it now? And I still think there's a tiny bit of that in some corners of Gainesville. But I, I, there's a couple things in there, one of which is Florida stunk. They weren't very good, and I think people are going to realize what's holding us back. Okay, well, maybe it's some of this stuff. But I also think it was Alabama and 
in particular, the two guys in particular who worked for, for Saban at Bama who helped force Florida to modernize. Um, you know, it, Florida had been trying to get an indoor practices facility and it finally opened under Jim McElwain who wanted it done a certain way. He wanted it to make sure it was a hundred yards where it looked like a real field. He wanted to make sure that, uh, everything down to the, the little orange flags at the top of the goalpost, he wanted to make sure they were there because that's how it works on a real field. Right. Um, so that type of process. And then the other th- real tangible thing in here too, um, I remember, sitting down with uh, Jeremy Foley and one or two of the other um, UF administrators uh, talking uh, under Jim McElwain, talking about this need for a football-only complex. And and the the, what they pitched then ended up being different than the Hevner complex that's opened, uh, what, a year and a half ago now. But the idea was that everybody has this, we need it. And I think if McElwain hadn't been a Saban guy and seen how it worked and pushed so freaking hard for it, I don't know that it would have happened as quickly as it did. And of course, that finally opened uh, under Billy Napier. And again, it's it's similar at other places too. You know, Florida State opened their indoor practice facility under Jimbo. Um, they've they're in the works on their own football complex that Jimbo really really wanted. Um, you know, Miami is is looking at their own football operations center because that's something that Mario Cristobal says that they need. Again, this isn't only a Nick Saban thing, but you can't ignore the fact that the coaches who pushed the hardest for this were all Saban guys, and and Alabama did it a certain way, and other people had to catch up. He sent a lot of people to the NFL, still is, and it was. Uh, it's it's interesting to me when I would go to the combine, Matt. You talk to a player that sat for maybe a year, maybe sometimes two years, but they knew that they were better than most of the players that were already playing in the SEC because they went up against what became Pro Bowl players every day in practice, and so they were willing to kind of line up there for a year, sometimes two and wait their turn, and they would go from the bench to a first-round draft pick almost that fast because that's the quality of player he got. It was unreal the depth that he was able to build there. It, it Unreal is right, where I think they had like seven recruiting classes in a row that were number one in the country until Kirby knocked them off in, in one of his first couple classes there at Georgia. It It's, again, I keep using the word insane and mind-boggling, but that's exactly what it is. You know, I, I was looking at up some stats earlier um, just to try and put some of this in perspective. And one of the, his impacts in Florida is that he helped create the X's, kind of helped break the dam where the story we've talked about a thousand times on all of, you know, how many of Florida's top players have ended up leaving the state. The big threes poll isn't what it used to be. And, and Saban was one of the guys who broke that dam. So, so here's my stat. Uh, Saban signed at least 10 native Floridians who were top 12 national recruits. Oh, boy. For anybody to get 10 top 12 national recruits is, is a fantastic stat. He got them just 10 from this state. And, you know, it's, it's Trent Richardson, right? It's Derek sure. Henry. It's sure. Dallas Turner. It's Keon Coleman at, or Keon uh, Keeley, excuse me, at, at, from Berkeley Prep. Doesn't include some of the other guys he got from Florida. You know, Mac freaking Jones, Jerry Judy, uh, Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley. Like the list is insane, and that's some of the reason why Florida has been down. But to Saban's credit, he was able to keep getting dude after dude after dude who 
not only wanted to go there, but they, as you said, were willing to sit around and wait their turn. And I don't know how long that was going to be able to continue, how long that process was going to sustain itself in the, the portal NIL era that we're in, but what he did and the way he was able to adjust and, and just find ways to keep doing it as the situation changed, it just remarkable. And that's the thing that, that j- jumps out to me the most on Saban is he won different ways in different systems, right? Because the, the system he had in 03 with the BCS is different at LSU is different than his Alabama teams, which was different than the playoff teams. They, they were just all different in terms of the errors and what they had to do in terms of the way the portal changed, the way NIL changed, the way the, the rules changed. Um, the idea, and we've talked about this before, but the idea that you could win with just with a Mark Ingram and a Jake Coker at quarterback the, the way they, they had in, in some of their early years. That type of system doesn't work as well now. Yes, there are some exceptions, and, and Michigan might have been one, but generally speaking, you need to be able to air it out a lot more, and Saban found a way to adjust. You know, He, he called, uh, I think the story goes that he asked Urban Meyer, one of Urban's assistants, after the, the uh, 14 semifinal game um, where Ohio State won, how did you beat us? What did you do? And that led to the Saban system where they opened it up a lot more and they bring in Lane Kiffin and eventually bring in Sarkeesian and that sort of thing to just open it up into a completely different style of play that was not Saban's DNA. But he realized if we keep doing the same thing we've been doing, it's not going to work. It didn't work. So he adapted and he adjusted and you know kept winning at an extremely high level after that. And that's just one of those other things that's, you know, help make him the best ever. I don't know. You know, I, I know you probably had plenty of interactions with him, um, you know, in the SEC uh, meetings and in, in, in various games and things like that. I've heard stories that, you know, you see the Nick Saban that's, you know, has in the past, maybe not the recent past, because I think you're right. I think he's softened a little bit this year, if you will. Seemed much more happier and, and uh, I don't know, uh, it's just different. Um, but, I've heard stories of reporters, you know, that have had conversations with him sort of after they've interviewed him and, 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 you know, where, where he asks good questions and, um, is, is, you know, just really good to talk to What's, what's been the sort of the buzz from a, from a journalistic standpoint of, of people that have covered Nick Saban? Yeah, he certainly can be that way. Um, he's so one track mind though. Like he doesn't, yeah have a lot of time for chit chat you know outside interests and things like that really yeah and and of course and and i totally respect that i'm not a great schmoozer either my wife will tell you i'm absolutely terrible at it um so i I get that but he was yeah very one-track mind um i was glad that the times i asked him questions and news conferences and conference calls or whatever he didn't blow up at me so that's good um, obviously because they were brilliant questions. Let's not, no doubt. <laughs> let's not minimize that. Um, but there were occasions where he would use, uh, he would use some humor. Like I remember him on stage, I think it was in Birmingham at, at SEC media days. It was one of the SEC media days for sure. And somebody asked him an actual football question, which is kind of rare at these events, uh, about something along the lines of whether they were going to use more 12 personnel or something like that. And he's like, 12 personnel, what do you mean? And the reporter's like, uh, what, what, do you, what do you mean? What do I mean? And then Saban just like, I know what Jim 12 personnel is. I'm just joking with you or whatever. And everybody cracks up because it was so like out of character. And I imagine that, you know, 
trying to put myself in the shoes of that guy. Like, oh boy, what do you, what do you do? Like, you're so taken aback. Um, but yeah, he, he was, uh, just very one track mind, um, most of the time and would, was very calculated in what he always said too. That was something that jumped out and, and you knew, and so it's this way with a lot of coaches, but Saban was at the extreme of it. Whatever he was telling you, he was telling his team. That was the goal there. Not to answer your question, but to say whatever it is that's going to help recruiting or get a message across to his team about rat poison or whatever it was yeah. this time. Yeah, he was always on, on message. There's no doubt about that. Okay, here comes some of the fun stuff. We get to speculate. And Excellent. Like I said, I, I they've always said this, that you don't want to be the guy, as Bobby Bowden said, you don't want to be the guy that replaces the guy. You want to be the guy after that replaces the guy. But there's a lot of names here that make sense to me. And uh, you can, you know, get the odds in Las Vegas on some of these folks now. I'll just run down some of the ones that seem obvious or more obvious than others, and you can comment on them. But I'm going to tell you right now, and, and it's it's unfortunate because I think his brand has been damaged the last few years. The guy that I always thought would replace him is Dabo Sweeney. You are correct. That was the industry belief for a long time. But yes, you're right. His his brand has been damaged. Clemson has started to taper off. Whether that was a, a blip or not, you know, we'll see. But he hasn't proven an ability to adjust to the portal era and the NIL era. And for that reason, I think he's in dough. And uh, let's go on this this train. We, we name some names because I, I, I disagree with you in terms of like, who the actual good candidates? Well, I, okay, the one that's getting a lot of run right now on the interweb that all the kids use is uh, Dan Lanning of Oregon. Okay, yeah, he, he's he makes a lot of sense, checks a lot of boxes. He is a great, if not elite, recruiter. He had a little bit of time. I think it was like a GA at Bama, then went to to Georgia with Kirby. So it's the same tree. Two years as a head coach. Mm, that's true. Okay, that uh, that's. That would be a, I, I, a check wrong box right there, right? Correct. That that's why I, again he he makes sense. I totally get it. I would not be surprised at all if he's the guy. But you're banking it on two years as a power five head coach. It's the same thing with Kalen DeWar at Washington. Well, that's dude is name. a mm-hmm. he's a fantastic coach. Don't get me wrong on, on either of these two guys, and they might end up being fantastic and winning three national championships apiece, whatever it is. But he's got two years as a power five head coach. Did it, you know, did it in AIA, did it at, at Fresno. Maybe there's still enough of a track record that you can buy in. But if this is the best job in the country or one of the top couple of job, best jobs in the country, is are you okay hiring a guy who had two years as a head coach at, at the you know, at the highest level? Um, well, go through. We can go I through got, some of I the got other. One more. I got yep. one more. That and this is again in no particular order, but it is sort of these are listed as you know favorites and whatever that whatever that may means necessarily. So if you don't want the guys with just a two year track record, right? If you mm-hmm. want somebody that's got a little bit more varied experience, even in the SEC, and he's worked for Nick Saban. How about Lane Kiffin, man? He would have made great sense a year ago if if, if just you a were year? just a year well here's why i say that this mississippi team this old miss team that he has on paper for 2024 is going to be really really good um <laughs> it's not like, alabama though <laughs> no it's not but do you want to build that up build up a roster that's at minimum 
worthy of making the playoff, if not winning a couple games in there, and leave now? Maybe you do, if you're Lane. Um, I would have thought he'd want to stick it out this year and then see where the chips fall next year, if possible. And again, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. But it's, I don't know that the timing is best for Lane. Um, it's you know the same thing with like Steve Sarkeesian, who's another guy that he's another Saban guy, won a national title as an assistant, did a sensational job in that 20, uh, 2020 team um, with Devontae Smith and those guys. But he's at just he's at freaking Texas, which is one of the few programs that is every bit as as good and powerful and rich and whatever as Alabama. Would he want to leave? I I, I don't know. Um, and then you kind of go on down the list, like you know, three years ago, four years ago, Kirby Smart would have potentially yeah, been. But now the guy. now he's got his Alabama at Georgia. It's just Correct. It's a little it, too late for him, right? Which is Georgia's a better job. You know, they don't have the history, but they are the number one school and one of the four best recruiting states in the country. So, like, what, do you want to leave that? No, I don't think so. So it, there's a bunch of intriguing names on the list, but I can poke holes or put cast major doubts on a lot of them, mm. except for Mike Norvell. Really? I'm not saying he's interested. I'm not saying he should be. He should be interested. But as I look at the, the names that initially came out, like James Franklin, he, he's been good or very good at yeah. Penn State. Do I think he can win a national championship? I, I don't think so. I haven't seen it. So like, is he the best that they could do? Ah, maybe no, not. No, they can do better. So then, so who is the better? If Sarkeesian says no, I'm good. If Lane Kiffin says no, I've got a really special team here right now. If if you're not yeah. sold on Dan Lanning, yeah. uh, or you're not sold on Kalen DeBoer, who you got? And Mike bad. Norvell is somebody that look he's he has four years as a major college head coach at, at the Power Five level. So okay. There's more of a track record. Obviously, he had a fantastic year this year. Um, his years at Memphis where they won the conference and, and made the Cotton Bowl, I don't think we can minimize or should minimize that. He's in, He hasn't coached in the SEC, but he does have, you know, he is, is, has coached in the region. Memphis is still kind of southeast, obviously. Um, Florida State's in the same footprint. He's from Texas, spent time in Arkansas. So, like, there's that familiarity. He's one with the portal and knows how to do that. Uh, he knows what a successful NIL program looks like and, and kind of, you know, Florida state has, has gotten better in that respect. X's and O's. Maybe there's better ball coaches in the country right now, but there's not a whole lot better. Um, he he's, hasn't proven to be an elite recruiter yet in terms of getting the top five talent that you would have to, that Alabama expects to get. So that's the one knock on him, but he did just sign a top 10 class in addition to being one of the top or the top portal guy in the country. Like if I'm Alabama, he, I'm definitely making calls into him because I, I think he has the least amount of risk out of everybody. Well, I I'm, I'm feeling a Matt Baker column coming up here as we're talking about it. Um, that could, that could be. What, what do you think? What do you think I was doing during my kids flag football <laughs> practice while I was freezing well, out there? I don't know. <laughs> So I'd have been in the car. That's that's the difference between you and me, Matt. I sit in the car and watch flag football if I have to. Um, but then I got old man bones, so that might be why. Uh, that's it, it's it makes sense. And then look, when it, it's not a bad uh, sell if you got a guy that's thirteen and zero, and his only fault was that his quarterback got hurt a game or two before the national championship run. So 
Um, th- that's about as hot as Mike Norvell can be. Um, and, and he did do a great job of, of turning around that Florida state program in a, in a hurry. And, um, there's obviously some good attributes there. I don't know. It, it's going to be fascinating to me just, just exactly. I, I, I know this, that even though Alabama fans probably, you know, you look at Nick's age and you, you feel like this is inevitable. I don't know that they saw themselves in the national semifinal and, and frankly, you know, their game against Michigan was the best game of, of the entire tournament. But mm-hmm. um, there's got to be some mourning going on right about now. You know what I mean? Like, it happened, obviously, when Bear Bryant, Bear Bryant was an institution back in the day. But, like, it's it's going to be a jar. It's going to be a tough transition, I think, in many ways for any coach. I know they'll welcome him, and I know, uh, you know, that, that, that they're roll tied no matter what. Uh, mm-hmm. but it still seems like a daunting replace. You know what I mean? Like uh, even like even a Mike Norvell would have to really give it some some thought. Obviously, uh, any coach would about you know I'm going to be compared to this ghost that's going to be walking around Tuscaloosa now for a number of years. Correct. You you absolutely are, and it'll be interesting to see how involved Saban is at Alabama. That's um, a good point too. Yeah, does he want to be around and shake hands and keep boosters happy and, and, and do that? Does he want to sit on his you know on the, the dock at his lake house and just be grandpa? I, I don't know. Um, but that's part of it. Like, you know, Steve Spurrier's been has been around Florida a lot more than some other past legends. You know, Bobby Bowden wasn't around Florida State for different circumstances, I know, but that's gonna be an interesting dynamic there is what is Saban's role going forward? Like, do you have the, it, it, does he have an office down the hall from you? Mm. Like it just this, that type of stuff is going to make a difference. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. You're going to be compared to a legend and it is almost literally impossible to do enough to make up for it. However, you are going into a program that has every resource you could possibly imagine that you know, we'll see what happens with the, the portal here and, and and the guys who all decides to leave and stay and what have you. But it it will easily as it will almost certainly let's put it that way, almost certainly be one of the most talented teams in the country. You're still going to have all the resources of the SEC and the power there and the the brand and all that stuff. It, clearly, one of the top couple of jobs in the country and, and a job where you can win at an extremely high level. It's just, and, and you're going to get paid a lot of money to go try and do it. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of negatives there in terms of the pressure and what have you. But at the same time, you're at one of the premier programs in the country that has proven you can win a national championship. And, and those those expectations will be very high. But every coach wants to win, and, and few places can do it the way Bama can. Well, it's 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 absolutely the best job in the country. There's, there's no doubt about that. He's left it in a much better place than he found it. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
you know, these top 25 rankings are already starting to come out, and, and I would assume this might have some impact on Alabama's and where they fall. What do you think of these things so early when we don't even know where the players are going to be playing yet? Yeah, that's my thing is I, I enjoy looking at some of these. And, and I'll be honest, I I was heading out of the, the uh, Camping World Stadium in Orlando after the Florida State OU Cheez-It Bowl thinking about, okay, how good is Florida State going to be the next year? And I initially thought ACC championship. And, and then as I thought about it more, I thought they could be a playoff team. And, and some of the, one of the things that helped me solidify that thought is all the early, way too early top 25s you know, around this time last year. And that's when I kind of started to think, all right, I was underselling them. They're not going to be top 10. They could, they could make a playoff push. And obviously they were as close as could be this year. Um, I say that to say that this year is very, very different. Last year, I, I had a pretty good feeling Florida. I knew what Florida State was going to be, assuming they stay healthy and what have you. I have no idea what Florida State is going to look like in 24. Zero. Mm. I have a decent idea on Florida, but not a very good one. I have a decent idea on USF, but not a good one. Decent on UCF, not a good one. And on and on and on. The, the roster turnover is so extreme, Rick. I just... I. I cannot take the, the way too early top 25 lists for much more than entertainment value only. I just can't like, I mean, it's, you know, Florida state uh, was the ones that I saw in the 15 to 20 range, the only state school ranked. And I think just about all of them that I've seen. Wow. Um, and yeah, I would think that's right. But since then, since that those came out, they added two blue chip transfers through the portal. Plus a guy who was, I think second team, all Pac-12 from Morgan State who have recently committed. like, And that's just in the last couple days. So I have no idea who's going to be on this roster. I have no idea if the roster that would be on Florida State's website right now, the most up-to-date you could possibly have. I don't know that that's going to be the roster on you know, March whatever when they start spring ball. I don't know what's going to be the roster on June 1st after the, the, the transfer portal window. I don't know what's going to be the roster on you know, August 24th, I think it is, when they go to Ireland and play Georgia Tech. It's the same thing with Florida, USF, everybody. So I have zero idea what to make of any of these things. And so I'm, you know, I, I was talking with somebody earlier about this, and, oh, I just saw this latest top 25. No, you find, look at it. I'm, believe me, I'm clicking all, on all these things too. <laughs> but view them as a very, 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 very rough starting point because there's way too much and way too much turnover going on to have any sort of idea. I mean, shoot, the, the quarterback from UNLV, I might, I might have already shared this on the show, but quarterback from UNLV is at the bowl game, says, I'm staying. Eight days later, goes in the portal. I think he committed to Georgia initially and is now going to end up at USC or maybe it's the other way around. Like, you, you can't keep this stuff straight. There's no way of knowing any of this. And it, it, I'm sure it's frustrating for fans and and it's going to require me to do a whole lot more homework because if I'm going to get a good idea in the off season of, of what I think of, of Florida state, I'm going to have to watch more Oregon state film to see how DJ Uyunglele and this defensive end that they're getting how are, how were they last year? And uh, Florida has got a, a defensive lineman who's transferring in from Penn. Do, do I need to look at like the Ivy leagues huddle or whatever? Like this is just kind of the way it is right now. And it's so hard to figure out that I'm not putting any stock in any of these whatsoever although i will read every single one no absolutely and, and i would just say this that uh when we look back on this day or maybe on this week 
What if I were to tell you, because one of these we still don't know the answer to, but Nick Saban would retire, Pete Carroll would be dismissed, and mm-hmm. speaking of college football, there's a guy that did some things in college football himself, and Bill Belichick, we still don't know. I mean, can you fathom that these three legends of the game could all potentially be out of coaching in the same year? They're the three best coaches of the of this century, right? I would think. I, I mean, I, I saw somebody kind of reason that earlier. You know, this was before Saban announced. I think that you know Pete Carroll would probably be three in, in the two thousands behind Belichick mm-hmm. and Saban, or Saban Belichick, whatever order you want. And I thought about it, and yeah, I can't think of another one. I, I think those are probably I mean, maybe Andy Reid. I, I don't know, but it's it's probably those guys one, two, three, and the idea that two of them are gone and the third might be going too. It's it's wild to think about, but that's just kind of the nature of this beast. And uh, you know, we'll see what happens with the, the next wave. And and shoot, maybe Dan Lanning is the guy, and maybe he is going to usher in another era of dominance at, at Bama or whatever the case may be. But it is crazy to think about how many wins and how many championships have walked out the door on what is today, uh, Wednesday, January 10th, and how more could walk out by the end of the week. Incredible, incredible time we live in. Matt Baker covers, uh, we didn't even ask you before we get out of here, uh, your thoughts on uh, the Harbaugh's uh, winning <laughs> the, the national title. Yeah, I was disappointed for Michael Penix Jr. I really thought that Washington would give them a better fight physically. But my goodness, I mean, what did they attempt? All of 10 passes? What a complete just mismatch. And, you know, one of the things I read, and you can speak to this probably a little bit more intelligently than me, is that Michigan was among the oldest teams in college football in that they kept a lot of guys through COVID, some of these guys five, mm-hmm. maybe even some six-year guys. That's got to be a, a, an advantage when you get to that level uh, that they played this year, uh, that these guys have, are, are that mature, and some of them would have been in the second, sometimes third year in the NFL by now. That had to be a huge advantage. I don't know how Washington stacked up in terms of age and things like that, but, man, that was as dominant uh, a title game as I've seen. Yeah, Washington had a lot of the super senior COVID guys as well. Um, so maybe that was kind of a wash. I, I just think Michigan was built differently. They were built as a mauling team the way we don't see them a lot anymore. And they had the dudes on fr- up front on, on both sides to be able to make that happen. I mean, that, that was the difference in the game. I'm not saying anything earth shattering. We all saw it. Yep. Yeah. Their offensive line was excellent. And I thought Washington would be able to do a better job there. And I certainly thought Washington's offensive line was going to do a better job against Michigan's front. Um, You know, Washington's O line won the Joe Moore award for the the best line in the country. And they Mm -hmm. were not that the other night. They just weren't. Um, And give credit to Michigan where they were able to get pressure on Penix early and it's not like they were doing a bunch of exotic stuff and bringing five guys and no, bring a six over here. they yeah. were rushing four and, and that's exactly what you want mm-hmm. it, just because you know you, you got everybody in coverage there too and maybe things would have been different if uh dylan johnson washington's uh, sure. very good running back hadn't been hurt you know that takes away a, a weapon for Penix and makes mm-hmm. you more one-dimensional where so you're easier to defend um maybe that's part of it Washington just looked off. They they had chances. They had a throw early in the game um, on the right side to, to Roma Dunze on fourth down that it just it was just off. 
there were a couple other ones where it was just a tiny, something was just a tiny bit different chemistry, timing, call, whatever it was, it just didn't click. And for Washington to have had a chance to win, they would have had to play at a really high level and maybe get a little turnover luck or, or Penix just play out of his mind. And none of those things happen. And that's why we saw what we did. And, you know, this isn't a situation where, uh, I, I saw some people and heard some people questioning, you know, oh, Penix wasn't that good. He's, this was an NFL audition and he failed. No, no, he's still awesome. He had a bad game against a really, really good team. I think sometimes it can be that simple. And it's not a situation like, oh, goodness, the Pac-12 sucked if that's, if Washington was the best they could do. No, Pac-12 top to bottom was the best team or the best conference in the country. Just that Michigan was the best team. And and give them credit for that and finding a way to do it. And I underestimated Harbaugh um, repeatedly throughout the last couple of years. I thought his ceiling was going to be very good, and I was wrong. His ceiling was was great and 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 excellent or whatever you want to say. His ceiling was national champion, and and, and good on and on him for that. And this is going to be an interesting year to look back on. Um, Will this championship stand in five years? Will there be an asterisk? Will it be vacated? I don't know. Um, but if we just view the on-the-field stuff that we saw, Michigan was a great team and a very, very deserving champion. No question about it. Well, in speaking of uh, plum jobs in college football, um, you have any thoughts on whether Harbaugh would leave? And if he did, Michigan versus Alabama. I mean, there, there's a lot of... Blue Bloods now looking perhaps for head coaches, although one might already be on the Michigan staff, I would Im- imagine. Yeah, that would be the, the obvious thing as they promote more um, from, from assistant to, to head coach if, if and when Harbaugh leaves for the league. I, I don't have any inside knowledge on this, but I think the writing's on the wall. I, I would ex- A lot of people in the industry, I'll put it that way, expect yeah. Harbaugh to take, it, to take and get an NFL job. Sure, sure. Um, and then, yeah, Michigan's search is probably fairly easy there. But, again, Michigan's one of the best jobs in the country, too. So maybe they do need to kind of look around. And it's – the timing of this is so weird. You know, I was talking with my wife about this during dinner, and she's like, kind of stinks that this happened after signing day and everything. Like, yeah, does. And also before the next signing day. It, it, the calendar is just so stupid. There's so not horrible. a good time for any of it, any of it because the portal is always there. And – uh, we'll have to see how this all shakes out, and it's unfortunate because you know maybe there are NFL assistants who would be good college coaches that can't get the right opportunity because of the timing and, and and all this stuff. But yeah, the the important thing here is that uh, there is no off season in in college football that it does not exist. Uh, <laughs> when like what is this that? second day of the actual off season quote unquote the greatest coach ever retires yeah. uh, that's that's the way it's going to be uh but hey keeps me employed keeps the checks coming baby it's uh it's a busy time for matt baker it never stops and uh, just for kicks because you haven't had enough football i'll see you on sunday for the bucks eagles monday Wild, or monday night jeez if i show up sunday i'm a little early monday night football for the bucks eagles nfc wildcard game so yeah we get to do a little footballing together it'll be great Absolutely. Share a press box again. It's been a bit. Yes, sir. See you then, Matt. Thanks for, so much for everything all year long and uh, good timing on the uh, Saban announcement. Darn right. Shout out to, to Steve for uh, texting me earlier in the day before this happened. <laughs> it's perfect timing. Thanks, man. All right. Thanks, guys. 
All right, we'll get you set for wild card weekend in the NFL and the Bucks Monday night against Philadelphia. Also, the Tampa Bay Lightning tried to uh, build on that scintillating victory they had the other night. They host the New Jersey Devils at Emily Arena. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.